Hey there, this is Jonathan Edwards with PureAndSimpleBible.com. I'm so glad you're back, and I'm glad that you're here for the second part of a mini-series with Brother Bryce Whitaker that he has entitled, A Royal Priesthood. Now, we've already had the first part of this study. If you hadn't had the chance to listen to it, I really encourage you to pause this episode and go back and listen to the first part so that the second part really can contextually make sense. And if you already listened to it, then you're ready to go, just like me. So, without further ado, let's jump back into a great Bible conversation with Bryce Whitaker on the royal priesthood. Okay, so we have a visual of us carrying around the presence of God. But that's not the only thing that priests did in the Old Testament. It's not the only thing we do as Christians. So you, at this point, uh, start a second major idea, and that is that as priests in this new priesthood, we have an inheritance, the same way that in the Old Testament, uh, the the priests, the Levitical priesthood, they had a, a specific inheritance. So let's begin with this. Um, maybe what is an inheritance? If you want to take a minute to flesh out what that meant for the Levitical priesthood, and, and then we can jump into you know what it means for us. Yeah, so for the, the priests and for all the people of Israel, when they conquered the Canaan land, God was going to give that land to them. And so that was their inheritance, what they were receiving. And God chose to do something a little different with the tribe of Levi. He didn't do the same with, uh, with Judah or Dan or any of the other tribes. And, you know, God had given them physical territories. They had conquered all this land, and he gave bits of the land uh, to all these people. But in Deuteronomy 10, verses 8 and 9, um, that's where we read that God had separated the tribe of Levi to carry the ark. And in verse 9, it says, it says, Therefore, Levi has no portion nor inheritance with his brethren. The Lord is his inheritance, just as the Lord your God promised him. And so Levi didn't get a physical inheritance of land like the rest of the tribes. They didn't get their own territory or country in the promised land. It says God was their inheritance. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so there's only 11 territories, like on the old maps of when they conquered the promised land, right? There, there won't be that 12th, here's Levi's portion. So the Levites are going to be kind of scattered among the people living in their territories and... Uh, I guess relying on those people's good graces to to be able to live because their portion is the Lord and the connection to us is what? Yeah, so just as they didn't get a physical land here, that they their inheritance was with God, it wasn't wasn't something here. It's really the same for us that our inheritance we're not looking for a land here to get it. Right. We're, we're looking for a heavenly homeland with God right. to be our inheritance. Right. And I'm glad you said what you said. It is great. And we don't have to you know, be ashamed of where we live. We can have pride in where we live as long as we remember that this isn't what we've been promised. And it can be taken from us. If we were to lose it, you know, God forbid, if we were to lose what we have, that wouldn't take away from our inheritance. So... Somebody out there might be thinking, because, you know, there are a lot of groups that really do think America is God's blessing to the world, you know, that, like that we're his next holy nation. So if we've taken that from them, right, <laughs> Oops. <laughs> if, if we've robbed them of that joy, 
Now we need to share with them the good news of what that inheritance really is. So what is it? Well, I think it boils down to, to we have a homeland that we're looking forward to. You know, one of the reasons Jesus couldn't stick around and had to leave was John 14 and two and verses two and three. He was, he's building us a city and we're waiting for that city that, that you know, as the old song goes, this world is not my home. I'm just mm. passing through. Mm-hmm. Uh, my treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Um, our homeland isn't here. We're not looking for, for anything here. We have something so much greater looking forward to or that we are looking forward to. Yeah. I'm curious. This is maybe a bit off topic, but I'm curious about our, our generations for the past few that have lived in houses built on a foundation instead of uh, in, in times past when you were a little bit more migratory, you know, like the, the settlers who were in wagons going out west, going all the way back to Abraham, who's moving in tents. They were always transitioning from one place to the next. And so that pilgrim mindset, that transitory nature, probably was very much alive that, man, this isn't home because we don't, we're not, we're, we're just passing through that song. And yet you and I live in houses built of, you know, with a concrete slab and, um, you know, whatever sort of material we've used to build the house. It's, it's very much more of a difficult experience for us to say this is a migratory experience. Yeah, it's so kind of hard for us to, to wrap our minds around. How can we, how can we maybe take up that mantle of, of being a pilgrim? I'm really glad you, you use that, that word pilgrim because in Hebrews 11, verses 13 and 14, it's talking about people in the Old Testament of faith, um, but it really connects this idea. It says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. People with that mentality uh, that we're just passing through, that we're just pilgrims here, no matter uh, the foundation of our house or no matter how much we're moving around, mm-hmm. we know that this life isn't the end game. Mm. And by by having that pilgrim mentality, we're declaring with our lives that we are seeking something better, yeah. that we're looking for that homeland. Yeah. Excellent. And you've got several scriptures in here to remind us. Uh, se- wow. We got a lot of scriptures here that we don't talk have to go about through all of them. <laughs> no, it's okay. I'm just uh, I'm I am admiring how often this is reinforced in the Bible that don't get comfortable. This is not what life is about. It's not about being here. Second Timothy two verse four, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. It seems like uh yeah, Philippians three, Philippians one and and by the way, you can make points about these. I may be spoiling some of the things you're you're hoping to say, but there's there's so much in the New Testament where it's saying our inheritance is beyond this. It's not about the health and wealth of the moment, right? Yeah, I think God knows everything, obviously. And, you know, he knows that, that we need a reminder of things. And one of the things that, that Peter writes in Second Peter is he's reminding people before his death uh, of, of some of the some of the things that are really important. And he says he's writing this so that they can have a remembrance after he's gone. And so the scriptures over and over again repeat these really important ideas of of no one, uh, no one who's in warfare gets distracted by all mm-hmm. these other things so that mm-hmm. he can please the person that enlisted him. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we talked about priorities in, in the Haggai study. 
And it can just get so easy to get bogged down with everything that's in this life. This life has a lot to offer and a lot of things that are uh, shiny to get distracted with. Mm -hmm. Um, But to please God, Paul says that we can't let ourselves get wrapped up in too much of that. So we keep talking about our inheritance beyond. And um, maybe could you just take a moment to define it? What, what is exactly our inheritance? I think other than just saying one word of heaven, I think in Philippians 1, Paul really, really shows what this means in, in a really practical term. In Philippians 1, verse 21, he says, For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And he, he says that, that he's hard-pressed between the two, that if he, he knows that if he's living, he's living for Christ and that good is going to be done. Right. But to die is gain for him to be with the Lord, to have that, that heavenly homeland, that inheritance. Mm. Um, that is what the inheritance is, a, a place in heaven where we can be with God and be with all of our loved ones who have died in the Lord forever. Mm. Just to, to, to be in the presence of God, to have him as our inheritance. Um, that's a special thing. Okay, so God is our, uh, we have God's presence as going around with us day by day. God is also our inheritance and in, in all of the blessings of his spiritual eternal kingdom, the, the heaven kingdom uh, is is our inheritance as well. I, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself. There's there's a bit more to this point, but I'm just it seems like everything when it comes to our this royal priesthood we're talking about, it is very God centered. It's not us centered. He's the presence. He's the inheritance. And it's not about giving us stuff and things and you know, making us happy in this life, right? Stuff and things are nice, but God knew that that wasn't the, <laughs> that wasn't the goal. You, you want to encourage us, when I look at your notes, you want to encourage us that before we get the inheritance, we got to get to work. Why don't yeah. you take some time to, to make that point for us? I heard someone use a quote one time. They were using it in context of when COVID first broke out and we were all stuck in our homes. And he said, you got to work your weight where while we're all sitting in our homes, we shouldn't just be doing nothing, but we need to be working our weight. And I think that that applies so well to the pilgrim mindset Mm. that we know that our life here is waiting for heaven. Ultimately, that's what it breaks down to that Mm -hmm. we're waiting for eternity. But what Paul said to to live is Christ. He was working his weight that Mm -hmm. before his uh, his time, before he knew that that eventually he was going to die, he was working for Christ in that time. He uses that the soldier analogy to uh, to Timothy, his young son, young son in the faith, that he needed to work as a soldier for Christ. Hmm. And you know, going back to Acts eight and Acts twelve, what we read, that's exactly what they were doing. They were working their weight. I like that, working the weight. Okay, uh, we should probably read from Peter because we've already read from him about the priesthood, and and you. You have a scripture here where he talks about our inheritance. And so let's tie it in there before we move on to that final point. Yeah, it's always nice when the, the scriptures really give a summary or when they define what they're talking about. And Peter talks about this inheritance in, in 1 Peter 1, verses 3 and 4. This is even before he makes the priest connection, but it kind of kind of leads into it. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Okay, why don't you break this verse down for us? So really, this is the definition 
of our inheritance, that mm. because of, of God's abundant mercy and his grace, that we can have heaven, a seat in heaven waiting for us. And, you know, mercy is not getting something that you do deserve, like a punishment. Right. And grace is getting something that you don't deserve, that you right. didn't earn. Right. And Peter says it's really through God's mercy of not punishing us and through God's grace of, uh, of giving us something that we could never earn that we have an inheritance that, that's incorruptible, something that's that no one can take from us. It reminds me of, of Romans chapter 8. Um, you know, If God is for us, who can be against us? Mm-hmm. Our inheritance is something that only we can walk away from. No one can, can take it away from us, and it's not just going to go away. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know where you heard that definition of mercy and grace. Um, do you happen to remember where you read it or where you heard it? I want to say that was Brother Alan Bonifay. Yeah. Okay. I'm familiar with it. There's the third part. Do you know, do you, from your studies, do you remember the third part? Not sure. Justice, which is getting what you deserve. And so you use that as the springboard. Justice is getting what you deserve. And then mercy is uh, not getting what you deserve. And grace is, is getting what you don't deserve. And what, as you were talking about mercy and grace, uh, I think th- that third leg of justice, uh, we have to remember that it is being accomplished. It's not that God is not just by letting us sinners be made righteous. It's that he accomplished justice through Jesus' death. And again, I'm just, you know, sometimes I'm blown away by the, the grace and the mercy of God. But part of his grace and mercy is tied to the fact that someone had to take the penalty that's Jesus. And so part of our inheritance is that Jesus took the, he paid the price of our inheritance. And we get the inheritance because he paid the price. How special it is. It really is. And, and our inheritance really is special that looking through the whole scriptures, we're inheriting the, the kingdom that cannot be shaken of Hebrews 12, mm-hmm. the kingdom whose reign will have no end of Luke 1, mm-hmm. the kingdom that will never be destroyed, Daniel 2. Mm-hmm. It's the prophesied homeland where we can be with God forever. Amen. It, it's just so special, and it, it's really beyond our comprehension of how a God could give us all of that. We've got three big points in a royal priesthood. and We've talked about two of them so far. We've talked about how we have God's presence, and now we've talked about how we have an inheritance. But kind of, the, you know, the, the questions I was asking back towards the very beginning, uh, w- when you said that this whole experience of, of being a Christian really does hinge on Jesus as our high priest. And if, if he's not our high priest, then we are going to be, like Paul said, we'll be, it will be pitiable because then we don't have that mediator, that advocate um, who's able to, to help us in our time of need. So here we are with the third big point, and that is that just like there is an Old Testament high priest or priesthood and a high priest, uh, we also have a high priest, but you're going to make this claim that ours is greater, so much greater. So why don't you elaborate on that? Yeah, so the book of Hebrews really throughout the entirety of it points out that, that Jesus is the best high priest that heaven could have given. God could not have set up a, a better high priest for all of our needs. And so we'll look at, at a couple of the, the scriptures in Hebrews that build on these ideas of, of why Jesus was, is so great. For us, because the high priest was really like the the mediator between the people, um, or between God and the and the people, 
And that's exactly what Jesus does for us. And the first thing is in Hebrews chapter 2, it points out that, that Jesus is our mediator in, in a, a special way because he knows what it's like to be us. That he's the one at the right hand of God um, being that, that mediator of saying, like, I know what they're going through. I have been through all of this. Mm-hmm. And did you want to go ahead and read Hebrews 2, uh, 17 and 18, or you want me to? Yeah, I'll do it. Uh, Therefore, in all things, he had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself has suffered, being tempted, he is able to to aid those who are tempted. These verses really show Jesus' humanity and how much he can relate to us. And so as our, our advocate to the Father, he was tempted just as we are. We know from the other, other scriptures that he was tempted in all points as we are yet without sin. Uh, it says that he's a merciful, faithful high priest, that he shows us mercy. He can relate to everything that we've gone through. And I think that's a, that's a special thing to have our advocate know exactly what we, mm-hmm. what we go through. Mm-hmm. Jesus has this very unique relationship. And that's why I like, and in your notes you have it here as well, Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, is that we don't, even the high priest in the Old Testament was, was an imperfect mediator because he couldn't represent God. At the end of the day, the high priest was a sinner who needed to like, uh, he, he needed to remove his own sins before he could remove the sins of the people. And so he's imperfect. And here we have this perfect mediator who, is 100% God and righteous and also was 100% during his time on earth in the flesh and man. So I'm, I'd like to read it and then hand it back over to you um, on Hebrews 4. It says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It's that idea that we have the advocate on our side that knows every single thing that we will go through. I'm 21 years old. I'm not going to pretend to have gone through the trials of life. But, you know, just just I, I've seen I've seen family members pass. I've seen church members go through so many things. In my congregation, we've lost four brothers and sisters in the last like two months. Mm. And Jesus knows what it's like to to feel lost. He knows what it's like to to sympathize with those that are grieving. He knows what it's like to be tempted in every way. And I think Jesus went through everything that we go through to a higher degree. Mm. No one else has anxiety to the point of sweat drops of blood. Mm. Most of us, hopefully all of us, will never have to be killed for something that we believe is right. And the things that that Jesus went through on the day-to-day, he didn't even have a place to lay his head. And, you know, when you read about the temptations of Christ in Matthew 4, um, I think Jesus had Satan in his face tempting him with all of these things. I think Jesus doesn't just know what we go through, but he faced it all to a much higher degree. Wow. You know, I, I guess I haven't thought about that part of it, that he would face it to a higher degree than what we did and and the pressure that's on him is so much higher because really he is the one who's got to get it right and we're obviously we're all supposed to get it right but like if he doesn't get it right we don't have a chance we have room for error he did not i think one thing that's kind of special about jesus our high priest is we're living our whole lives trying to get to heaven and he just left it 
for us that we're trying to get to this paradise, this perfect place with God. And he was willing just to leave it mm-hmm. to knowing that he was going to die, that he was going to be rejected, knowing that every single person that that he was dying for, for generations, generations after was going to fail him. And he came anyway. And that's a really special thing that our mediator loves us so much that he left the perfect paradise with God yeah. to die for us. There's something special when somebody knows what you've gone through. I think that's one of the big draws. We were talking earlier about social media before we started recording. But I think that's one of the big draws of social media is when you see someone doing something that you do and you're like, oh, I do that too. <laughs> you know, that relatability. You're like, oh, they're just like me. When we, you know, people love when they they see a celebrity that does something normal. They're like, oh, I do that too. They're so relatable. So that idea of relating uh, sometimes we marginalize it like, well, that's not it, but it is. Jesus relates and he's able to say, you know what? I, I know what it's like to be tempted by the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the three bigs of Satan's temptations. I know what that's like because in Matthew 4, he was given without anybody around. I, I notice you say that in your notes. Nobody was around to help him whereas a lot of times we have intercessors around us to plead on our behalf. All on his own, he's got lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life in a very heightened way that he has to overcome. And he, he can do it. He had to he, he turn down it. being given all the kingdoms of the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was what he, and ultimately that's, you know, God's plan was to, the promise through Abraham is that all nations will be blessed through Jesus, and Satan's giving him that, you know, here's the quick fix. I'll give you all the nations, which is that promise from uh, Genesis chapter 12. And and yet he rejects that because ultimately that's not God's will. And even Satan taking him to the, the pinnacle of the temple and telling him to jump and, and test God. If an angel from heaven catches somebody from that giant jump, how could anyone deny that he was from God at that point? Right. I mean, you can see a miracle. I don't know how they denied seeing miracles with their eyes. But if you see an <laughs> angel catch somebody out of the air, that's that's a bit hard to deny, kind of the fast track of, of Jesus being accepted. Now, in your notes, you kind of transition from how Jesus was uh, on his own. He was tempted to remind us that we're never alone whenever we're tempted. Why don't you take a moment to encourage our listeners with, with that idea? Yeah, you referenced 1 Corinthians 10 and 13, that, that no temptation is unique to us. Um you know, when Jesus was out there being tempted, he was by himself. We read that it wasn't until after Satan left that the angels came and, and helped him. But we're never the only one struggling with something. And God gave us the church as the best family we could possibly have to support each other, to pray with each other, to try to make it to heaven together. And, you know, I think sometimes we get the this idea that we have to put on this perfect face, especially when we're around other Christians and not saying that we should do things that are wrong when we're around other people. Mm-hmm. Um, but we just put on this brave face all this time. A, a lot of us do. And we don't ask for help. We don't um, like none of us are perfect. We've all sinned and we don't have to act like we're we're perfect. I mean, there there's shame in sin, but there's no shame in admitting it because we can get help. And that's really the strongest thing that that anyone can do is reach out and be vulnerable. You know, I've, I've tried to make that kind of a centerpiece of this podcast many times with many guests we've paused to talk about how one of satan's biggest lies is to tell you no one knows what you're going through 
and there's a lot of shame in what you've done, so just hide it and don't admit it. Um, something that I've I've come up against a few times, I won't say I, I hear it a whole lot, but I do hear it occasionally, is how people's, like they, they feel like there's there's so much hypocrisy in the church. Why would I want to come clean to a group of hypocrites? I've heard the same thing. Why would I want to come clean to people that judge so harshly they don't know what I've gone through and and they're really going to look at me differently uh, or they're going to treat me bad so um, you're very well spoken for someone who's 21 when I was 21 I was not uh, as well spoken as you are so I'm going to entrust you and to speak from the heart to people your age who are either jaded themselves or maybe they've had family members that have expressed this cynical view of the church, and so they've kind of taken on that cynical view. What would you say to encourage these people who they're able to look around and they're able to give examples and say, look, uh, Christian A, B, and C at church are hypocrites, and so I, I don't want to come clean there because they're just going to judge me, but then they're also going to be inconsistent with their own faith. The first time someone approached me about this idea of how in the world can you be a Christian? There's this person, that person, whatever, all these examples of everyone that, that's a hypocrite. And what I try to tell them is that you can't let anything get in the way of your personal relationship with God. The church, you, you've talked about it many times, that the church is a perfect church with people that are not perfect. And the truth of the matter is, if you are genuine and you are looking for help and confessing your sins um, and want prayers, if someone looks at you different, that's their heart problem. That's not that's not your burden to bear. Amen. And, you know, if someone does look look differently, that's on them. Mm-hmm. And the best thing that you can do is, is have a support system to pray with people. And really, you just can't let anything get in the way of your relationship with Christ. And even if someone looks at you differently, that's genuinely on their heart, not on yours. Amen. Amen. And uh, I'll throw in just an additional thought. First, I'd like to emphasize what you said. Jesus is Lord, and you're not, and I'm not. And so when you and I fall short, and somebody cites us as the example of the church being inconsistent or hypocritical, whatever, Jesus is still Lord, even if you or I mess up big time. And so we don't serve you, and we don't serve me. We serve the Lord. But secondly, if we just run away from the church because it's filled with hypocrites and filled with people who aren't consistent, How's the church ever going to change? How's it ever going to grow? How's it ever going to be more righteous than than this hypocrisy that it's stuck in? And um, this it's kind of that cheesy phrase. Maybe we hear it like at graduations and stuff. But you know, be the change you want to see in the world. <laughs> but it's, it's true. true. It's like you want the church to improve. Be the improvement. Be you're, like you were saying. Be that weird one that confesses your sins openly when you've messed up be the weird one that that doesn't just ask people hey how you doing you know but actually look into their eyes and say what's going on you seem different than you've been the past few weeks what can i pray for and by being that change you don't know what could happen across the next decade as the church kind of reinvents its image in a more godly way what do you think 
Yeah, I think one of the last things you said about what can I pray for, I've had a lot of people in my age group, um, they'll they'll send texts to a lot of people or, or messages like DMs and stuff and just like checking up like, hey, how can I pray for you today? Mm. And that's so big. I mean, you can just give the answer of like, oh, like I'm fine or whatever. But it like genuinely, there's people open to just talking and praying with you. Um, and that's one thing I, I tried to, to emphasize at, at the New Year's meeting of like, when you're at church, there's even like no matter how how big the group is, there could be five, there could be uh, 200, depending on the congregation, people in that room that want to see you get to heaven. That The church really is, like I said, the best family that God could have given us. Mm-hmm. That we're all, it's cheesy, we're all in this together, but it's it's true. We all want to make it to heaven together and we don't want anyone to, to not make it. Yeah. Amen. Well, we've got off track for a good reason. I won't. I mean, that this is that's special whenever we kind of have a heart to heart about things that are semi related. But let's let's uh, jump back into this high priest conversation as we're talking about Jesus as our high priest. And uh, you, you have scriptures in here from Hebrews. Cause you can't talk about the high priest unless you're reading scriptures in Hebrews. Yep. So why don't you uh, take us on the journey that Hebrews has to offer about Jesus as the high priest? Yeah, and so you, you hit this uh, this point a little bit earlier, but in Hebrews 5, it, it talks about the old high priest. That they, they could relate to the people in the sense that they were sinners too. But Jesus, he relates to us in that he knows everything we go through, but instead of needing a sacrifice for his own sins, he was the sacrifice mm. because he never sinned. Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's the difference between the old and the new priesthood. Ours is so much greater because he lived a life of no sin so that he could be the sacrifice and give us God is our inheritance to make that connection to to close that gap. And uh, let's see, it discusses that you got you got Hebrews seven, Hebrews eight, talking about how he's both priest and sacrifice. Yeah, Hebrews seven in verse twenty six and twenty seven really talks about the the character of Christ as our high priest that he was fitting for us, who was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners and has become higher than the heavens, that's the character of Christ. That's what makes him that the uh, qualified to mm-hmm. be that high priest, that he was apart from sin, uh, and he didn't need a sacrifice for himself. And getting into to Hebrews 8 and circling back to Hebrews 4, it, it kind of wraps up this point, and it's really the, the why does this matter? Why do we do what we do? Why does this high priest thing even have any bearing on us? In Hebrews 8, 1 and 2, it says, Now this is the main point. Of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. Then going back to Hebrews 4 and 14, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Mm -hmm. That's the reason that we have this confidence because our high priest is the son of God. He's the creator of the universe. He's the great I am who has passed through the heavens. He sits at the right hand of God. Mm. Mm -hmm. That's why this matters because our high priest is so great. Yes. Okay. All right. Well, give us then as we wrap this up, uh, you know, uh, maybe a summary if you want to, that 20 second summary or a final thought of encouragement so that as our listeners walk away from this conversation, you know, they've, they've got that, uh, nugget of, of truth and of information in their heart to then 
inspire them to keep studying this out for themselves. Yeah, just kind of that that 20-second summary. Peter says that we, every single one of us as Christians, are God's new priests. Mm -hmm. And what that entails, what we've gone over, is that we're supposed to be active in carrying God's presence with us in our Mm day-to-day, no matter if you're an evangelist or if you are just a regular Joe, for lack of a better term. If you're just the everyday person, um, God can use you, Mm -hmm. and he will use you. And the second point is that just as the the priests didn't have that physical inheritance like the rest of the people, we're not looking for our inheritance here. We have that inheritance with God. And then ultimately, a third point, we have that inheritance because of our great high priest, Jesus, who who died for us. And even with that whole resume of the being the son of God, the creator, the great I am, even with that resume, he came down and he died for every single one of us. Amen. Amen. Well, brother, thank you for coming in studio and, uh, I'm really grateful for our conversation. I look forward to the next time we get together. Sounds good. Thanks for having me back. I'm so thankful for Bryce, and I'm grateful for Bible Conversations. You know, there is a plethora of content out there for you to listen to, and yet uh, people do talk to me from time to time about how much they appreciate this series and what it does as far as giving opportunities to have conversations about the Bible. And I'm very thankful for that, very grateful indeed. And I was just at a gospel meeting at Fossil Creek this past weekend. I know that doesn't mean a lot if you're listening to this episode in the future. but uh, And at Fossil Creek, I was talking to a couple, to a couple of good friends who uh, were mentioning some of their favorite episodes from PSB in the past. And it really did my heart good to hear them say that because it means that this is making an impact in people's lives uh, in, an, in a very organic and healthy, natural, biblical, spiritual way uh, so that when they see me and say, you know what my favorite episode is, and then they'll, they'll talk about it, uh, that just really makes my heart sore. So thank you for the encouragement for those who listen, who whenever you see me, uh, you are being helpful by, you know, just mentioning it. So keep it up. Now, uh, until next time that we're together, I wish that you'd please go check out the website for some evergreen Bible studies as it were, meaning that you can find them there and download and use them absolutely free. And uh, just holler at me and let me know that you're using them and uh, give me some feedback on how to improve them. I'd love that. So check it out, www.pureandsimplebible.com. Until next time, always remember that God loves you very much, and I do too. Lord willing, see you soon. Well, I'm here to tell you a story, a story that is true, about a judge by the name of Gideon. He was a man like me and you. Well, his rules and so.